Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapters, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Later, Jesus himself appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They set out in a boat, but throughout the night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, no. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they did, and there were so many fish that they couldn't haul in the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself for he was naked and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from the shore, only about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to the shore. It was full of large fish, 100 53 of them. Yet the net hadn't torn, even with so many fish. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. There's a big headline that made the rounds in my line of work a few weeks ago. It was a Gallup poll that came out, and the headline was this, for the first time ever... Less than 50% of Americans are members of churches, synagogues, or mosques. For the first time ever, less than 50% of Americans are members of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. And, and I read the article and dug into some of the data, and there's some interesting observations that I think are important for us to hear. First is that this is not strictly a generational decline. We know we've known this decline has been coming for a while. The rise of the uh, spiritual but not religious uh, crowd in our, in our culture, um, the nuns or the duns as you may have heard it, um, it's not strictly a generational shift. In fact, it's more of a cultural shift because while it's certainly true that millennials and Generation Z, that's you know, high schoolers and middle school students right now, well, certainly we are exiting churches at a faster rate than the generations before us. In fact, all Americans over the age of 40 showed a decline in church membership by roughly 10 percentage points from where they were 20 years ago. 
In 20 years, 10 percentage points of a decline amongst everyone over the age of 40. So it's not just younger people who are exiting churches. And another important distinction to make is that the headline says what it says. For the first time, less than half of Americans are members of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. A decline in church membership or faith community membership does not indicate a decline in spirituality or faith. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Pew Research put out a study um, about five or so years ago. They conducted from 2007 to 2014. And what they found was that the percentage of people who responded saying that they felt a deep sense of spiritual peace or well-being increased from 52 to 59%. And those who have a deep sense of wonder about the universe on a regular basis, that increased from 39 to 46%. So in fact, as our, as our country and culture grows less churchy, our people are growing more spiritual. Here's the bottom line. America is becoming less churchy, not less spiritual. Hear me clearly. America is becoming less churchy, not less spiritual. That's important because the question for us becomes, what is our response as those seeking faith and building faithful community? What are the implications of this reality? Now, perhaps you have sensed this shift in your own soul as well. And today we're going to continue in our series called Resurrecting Faith, where we're looking at the kinds of questions and topics that come to the forefront when we find that our faith is in need of deconstructing or reconstructing or just serious transformation. When we know that the faith that we have held for so long in our lives may not be the faith that will carry us into our future. And for an increasing number of Americans, and I know a large number of those who call AUMC home, part of what we wrestle with is the churchiness that we have been raised in and how hollow that can feel for some of us today. So let's look at a text of resurrection where a risen Jesus visits some of his disciples in the middle of going through the motions of what they know and coming up empty in the process. And how his presence and their willingness to shake things up leads them to find who and what they have been searching for. A little bit of setup before we dig into our text today. This comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And chapter 21 is the last chapter in the Gospel of John. It's unique in that we're pretty certain, most scholars agree, that it was not written by the same author who wrote the Gospel of John as a whole. It's something of an epilogue or maybe an after-credit scene. Those are getting a lot more popular these days in Marvel movies and the like. And, and, and so it, it, the important thing to know is that it was almost always included in the original manuscripts of the Gospel of John. So even though it's a different author, it's clearly part of one same story. Isn't it fascinating how the Spirit can weave Scripture together? The other thing to know about this chapter is it centers on the person of Simon Peter. And maybe you don't know who that is. There's a man born named Simon whose name was changed to Peter. He was a, a fisherman that was called to be a disciple of Jesus's. And, and in scriptures, it's pretty clear that Peter wants to be and is frequently treated like Jesus's right-hand man. And he is painfully human at times, as we'll find in the text today. And chapter 21 of the Gospel of John is something of a conclusion to Peter's thread in this story. But Peter is more than just Peter. Peter is us because Peter means rock. And that's important because Jesus changes his name to Peter to say, upon this rock, I will build my church, my movement, birthing. 
And so Peter's story here is in many ways meant to be our story. This is something of John's version, the gospel of John's version of the Great Commission, the the beginning of this movement, the sending out of the disciples to go and preach the good news and baptize new believers. So with all of that in mind, let's walk through this text together and see what it may reveal for us today. It says, later Jesus himself appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And this is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. Let's stop there. Just a quick note. Isn't it interesting how quickly that we try to turn back to the familiar? Especially in a time that may feel like a crisis or a season that may feel a bit like death, how quickly we turn back to those things that we, we know, that we feel like have produced fruit for us in the past, and so we turn back to the familiar. I wonder if Peter is mistaking this season of resurrection for instead a season of crisis. You know, Jesus has appeared before him in the chapter just before, but maybe he's not sure what comes next. He doesn't know where his life is leading him now. He doesn't know what Jesus is calling him to do, and so he just goes back to what he thinks he knows, fishing. How often do I do the same? How often do you do the same when we just go back to those things that feel familiar? But just like Peter, I wonder if sometimes I mistake a season of resurrection for one of crisis, and that which seems familiar may not prove as fruitful as I hope. Instead, God may be calling me to something new, calling us to something different, something unknown. Let's keep reading. And so the other disciples said, we'll go with you. They set out in a boat, but throughout the night, they caught nothing. They caught nothing all night long. I would be a bad fisherman. I'm not nearly patient enough for this. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the the disciples didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus called to them, children, children. Have you caught anything to eat? And they answered him, no. And then the Scripture doesn't say this, but I imagine they said, who's this weirdo? And so he calls out, Jesus calls out again, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Again, Scripture doesn't say this, but can you imagine the, who is this guy? What? Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll try the other side of the boat. Okay, so they did. And there were so many fish that they could not haul in the net. There's two observations here, and we're going to sit here for a moment. One observation that's personal and one that is communal. First, some of us have been raised to cast our net routinely on the churchy waters of religiosity to cast our net routinely into the churchy waters of religiosity. And the God's honest truth is that we have been bringing up an empty net for what feels like a long night of fruitless faith. Go to church, say your prayers, maybe join a Bible study, toss in the 20 when the collection plate comes by, uh, volunteer when the schedule allows, you know, yada, yada, yada. Now, I want to be clear. There's nothing inherently bad about these things. I'm a pretty churchy guy myself. I went to seminary for four years and got ordained in a mainline denomination, right? I I get it. I love churchiness at times, but still, even for people like me who love frequently what church has to offer, sometimes that churchiness rings a little hollow and something feels like it's missing, sometimes in a big way. 
Church as we've known it can be so deeply meaningful for so many people, but I wonder if there are those with us today who resonate with what I'm saying. Has churchiness failed to deepen your faith? John Wesley was a guy that lived a long time ago and started this thing we call Methodism. He was raised by an Anglican priest, raised to be an Anglican priest. He was so churchy, in fact, that in college he was teased and made fun of and called a Methodist because of the overly methodical way with which he conducted his spiritual disciplines. He was as churchy as it gets. So once he's an Anglican priest, he goes to the colonies. This is when he lived, right, back when Georgia was a colony. He's going to go be a pastor in this new church plant near Savannah, and he wants to pastor the colonists and the indigenous people there, and it doesn't go well. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. So he sails home with his tail between his legs, and while on this ship, an incredible storm seizes them. I mean, we're talking about something out of Scripture, right? The the storm at sea, and he is terrified, but he sees on this ship this group of Moravians. That's one of the oldest Protestant denominations born out of Eastern Europe. And these Moravians, he sees they're, they're, they're holding hands, and they're praying, and they're singing songs together, and they have this overwhelming aura of peace that is so surprising and unexpected, and he sees God in their midst and says, I've got to see what this is about. So when he gets back to England, he goes and seeks out a Moravian house of worship on a street called Aldersgate, and he gathers with them. He doesn't know a thing about their faith, and it's there that he has this overwhelming spiritual experience that he had been missing his entire life. He describes it as though his heart was strangely warmed, like a microwaved hot pocket. Not maybe the most beautiful language, but it's what we've got in our traditions. That's that's the story we have to share. His heart was strangely warmed. Here's the point of John Wesley's story today. For all of his churchiness, it was this spirituality, this wild spirituality, this personal relationship, this seeing God in the unexpected and going deeper, pursuing, finding God in this place that he didn't expect, this strangely warm heart engagement that was missing from his faith. And from there, a movement was born. My friends, Jesus never asked us to primarily and first be in a relationship with an organization but instead to be in relationship with God and with one another. And I say this as the senior leader of this organization. Jesus never asked us to be primarily, first and foremost, in relationship with an organization, but instead to be in relationship with God and with one another. If churchiness has come up empty for you, I wonder where it is that you have sensed God at work and alive in your life or in the lives of others. I wonder if following God to greater depths in those places might lead to a strangely warmed heart that you've been searching for. Now, that's the personal note, but, but, but for us as a community and as a larger Christian faith here in America, perhaps we've been fishing on the wrong side of religiosity for far too long. The decline of church membership is is not a shock. It's not a surprise to anybody. That headline was not surprising to anybody in my line of work. We've been trending in this direction for decades, and the most recent headline was simply a confirmation of what we already knew. But rather than seeing this as the, quote, death of the church, rather than mistaking this as a season of crisis and death like Peter and simply going back to what we've known only to find that, yep, it's not really that successful, what if we recognized this season not as one simply of death but instead as one also of resurrection? 
and heard our Savior saying, for the love of God and for the love of your neighbor, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Rather than asking those who do not call this community a home to adapt their spirituality to meet our churchiness, what if we adapted our churchiness to meet the spiritual needs of the community? This is something I believe AUMC has been doing for quite some time. But it goes even deeper than that. Look at what Peter does next. I love this tidbit. Did you hear it? Did you chuckle when you heard it read a moment ago? It says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, it says he wrapped his coat around himself for he was naked. No, we don't know why he was fishing naked all night. Maybe just because Peter has a screw loose. I don't know. He was though. He wraps the coat around himself and then he jumps in the water, it says. There's something endearing about this detail. Again, Peter is so human. But it's essentially saying that Peter made himself dignified. He wrapped this coat around himself just to undignify himself by jumping into the sea, getting dressed just to dive into the sea. There's some sort of beautiful symbol here of the fishermen diving into the waters. I wonder... If rather than lamenting that the fish aren't swimming and biting in the ways that we've been accustomed, could we not just simply shake up our approach in an effort to lure a greater catch into the boat, but, but could we be brave enough, bold enough, willing to ditch our dignity enough to dive in and position ourselves amongst the fish, swimming in the ever-diversifying sea of the Spirit? It's not as safe not as secure, not as known, certainly not as respectable and what respectable churchy people should do. But if you notice, it leads Peter closer to Jesus. And I imagine it would do the same for us. So the story continues. And it says, the other disciple followed in the boat, dragging, the other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, only about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet the net hadn't torn, even with so many fish. I know what you're thinking. Why the number? What's the importance of 153? Um, it's this. That's a lot of fish. That's it. Um, for 2,000 years, even back to like St. Augustine, the scholars have been trying to figure out what that number means. The honest truth is it's probably as simple as it's a lot of fish. But hear me clearly. It's a lot of fish. It's a lot of fish. The point is this, it's a whole lot of fish, and the movement Jesus is leading is just as diverse and inclusive as a net full of 153 different fish. And so it, it concludes, the story this morning concludes and says this, Jesus came, uh, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast rather. And none of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. What does this look like? He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
Notice that through their willingness to fish and even to swim in a different way, they find themselves once again in communion with Christ and in beloved community with one another at a shared meal, as so often happens in the stories of Jesus. Jesus was able to help them take the best of their past, the fishing and the friendship, and simply opened them up to a new yet unseen side of the sea. And the result was abundant, diverse, and intimately personal. The movement that Jesus is building in the same way upon Peter is abundant, diverse, and intimately personal. In my short experience, and for those who don't know, I've only been here since July. In my short experience, AUMC is clearly the kind of church that seeks to be a don't just try the other side of the boat, try diving in movement guided by Jesus and led towards abundance, diversity, and intimately personal relationship with God and with one another. I know this in part because of two encounters we had on our campus this past week. On Tuesday, following our staff meeting, a man named Bob came to our church. And Bob's wife, Eddie, had just passed away recently. And, and he wanted to come to our sanctuary to take some pictures because it turns out Eddie is the woman who many, many, many years ago, before the ground was broken here, had a vision, a concept for six stained glass windows, the ones that you see in this room today. And Eddie wanted, or Bob wanted pictures of these windows to share at Eddie's memorial service. So we took some photos and we shared some stories and I saw the tears well up in his eyes as he realized the legacy and love that will live on even as Eddie had left him on this earth. We said a prayer for Bob as he continues to walk through grief and we made a friend that day best of who we've been in our past, right? Jesus takes the best of that and pulls us to the future. That next day on Wednesday, I had a young man come in for a meeting with me. We ended up chatting for about two hours. This young man had a story that I imagine resonates with many of you. He grew up in a world of weaponized religion. He was sent to a conversion camp when he was in his teens. He was expelled from a Christian university and eventually felt driven from the judgmental world of churchiness, all because of his willingness to be honest about who he is and who he loves. But never once, he told me, did he question his relationship with God, just with the church that aimed to speak and act on God's behalf. For years, he wondered if he could even find a faith home. But you know what's interesting? The crisis of COVID actually led to an unexpected gift for people like him. It turns out that when you can visit a church online, you don't have to worry about whether people will be friendly or judgmental. If the pastor says something crazy, you can just turn off the TV. You don't have to worry about what kind of looks you're going to get in the pews or in the hallways or in the parking lot. He found here at AUMC a different kind of church, a more spiritual, less churchy kind of church a spirit-led movement of folks diving into the abundance and diversity and personal faith that comes with the living Christ. I wonder if Eddie, all those years ago, could have known when she envisioned the stained glass of this sanctuary that one day a young man would find in this place a people as beautiful and vibrant 
as warm and welcoming as the windows in this sacred space, that this would be a sanctuary to people like him in more ways than one, that it could be a spiritual sea where people like all of us could swim freely in pursuit of the God who loves us and in community with one another. It's true that people, we as a people, are growing more spiritual and less religious, but maybe what many see as a crisis is instead a resurrection. And in fact, maybe our religion could stand to use a lot more spirit. Just imagine who God could lead us to next and where our hearts might be strangely warmed when we choose not just to recast, but to dive in. Amen.